this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Jay, it's another interview episode. Here we go. Buckle up. Who, who, who do we got? Well, of course, we have Chip Midnight. Welcome, Chip. Yes, yes. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. Our interviewer extraordinaire, our our man of the pen and the tape recorder, and I'm sure you don't use a pen and a tape recorder anymore for your for your interviews because you use you use Zoom like all everybody else. Absolutely correct. But, but back in the day, you you put the little micro cassette recorder down and did those kinds of things. The artist that I'm bringing you tonight today is a band that I interviewed, and I used a tape recorder to interview that that interview in 1994 sorry i should clarify that i interviewed them in 1994 and then i interviewed them very recently but this time i use zoom yes why don't you share with our audience here uh who you have revisited in your interview uh history yeah for me this is one of those perfect examples of a dig me out kind of band uh all the way from the uk fret blanket so i don't know if you guys know fret blanket they put out two records um, 94's Junk Fuel and 1997's Home Truths from Abroad. 97, they had a video for Into the Ocean, which had, I'd say, a minor minor hit, you know, in, in terms of 1997 and whatever that means. They were on this TV show, and, and I don't know if you guys remember this, it was called 12 Angry Viewers. And they would bring in yeah. people and they'd sit them on a couch and they it was kind of like a, um, I have to admit, like I... I don't remember much about it. I feel like they brought in 12 viewers. They showed them some videos and it was almost like a competition. Like, what do you think of this video? Should we add it to rotation or not? And they'd show it and mm-hmm. they'd, let the, they'd let the table, uh, kind of like a round table, everybody got to sit around and talk about the video and whether or not it would go on to, to get played. And uh, Into the Ocean did get picked up and played after that show. Yeah, I, I remember that being, oh man, that must've been late was it late mid to late 90s mtv yeah because that that single came out in 97 so it would have been 97 ish it's after I they think... figured out that they could do like game shows and remote control and, <laughs> and all those kinds of things no i'm not positive i know somebody i went to college with who moved to new york city was on that show and i'm almost positive that she was one of the 12 angry viewers for that particular episode and voted for fret blanket to move forward i had you know it was years after I graduated college, so I had lost touch with her. But I'm, I'm, I saw her on, and I'm like, I know that person, and I'm pretty sure it was a Fred Blanket episode. That's awesome. So the question it's back synergy. to you guys: Do you know Fred Blanket? Only by name. Yeah, I mean it's it's a memorable name, that's for sure. I have no yeah. idea what it means. <laughs> All right, but yeah, I, I remember this, the name. That's it. I got this pulled up, so I'm going to read directly from my 1994 review, just to Excellent. kind of give you context of what I thought of it back then. All right. And I wrote this for a magazine called Moo Magazine that I wrote for in Columbus, Ohio in the mid-90s. So I wrote the review that said, in my meager existence of fast food bean burritos and three beer buzzes, not much excites me. 
These scratch-off instant lottery tickets with their occasional $3 rewards just aren't cutting the mustard anymore. And then I receive a copy of Fred Blankett's Junk, Junk Fuel via the Postmaster General. Had this album been released by Soul Asylum, Nirvana, Sugar, or any of the other power hitters in the 120 minutes lineup, it would have sold a gazillion copies. Instead, this disc will end up in a number of used CD bins. Really a shame, but at least you won't have to pay as much to hear a gem of a record. Catchy pop anthem, anthems with solid rock foundations, this is the album that Kurt Cobain dreamed of recording with Michael Stipe before putting a slug through his head. What? Yeah, um, <laughs> kicking off in fine I didn't fashion. see that coming. <laughs> I don't know what I, it, there's just three, <laughs> those three rear buzzes apparently. Uh, kicking off in fine fashion with Twisted, Frank Brett Blanket has produced an album well worthy of heavy rotation on alternative radio, uh, alternative and college radio stations. Personal favorites include Twisted, Junk Fueled, and Song and Bee, in which Co Copley sings just a smidgen like our long lost grunge generation spokesman. All right, I got to expand the window here. Uh, forget about plunking down money for Nirvana bootlegs of Kurt's final few shows. Spend the money on the future of rock and roll. Spend the money on Fred Blanket. Well, that was a very positive uh, review mixed in with some very timely <laughs> dark slash uh, kind of disturbing you know, twist. So, I, you know, I don't know if you guys remember that time period. And, you know, we've done the roundtable about Nirvana. But, uh, you know, I, I know that, that Kurt Cobain had talked about recording with Michael Stipe, that he wanted to get a little bit out yes. of the grunge stuff and do some more alternative sounding music. And and uh, Will Copley, who's the singer for Fret Blanket, has sort of that raspy kind of grungy voice, although they're, they're certainly not a grunge band. And so I think that was... That was what I was trying to get across there is that like he had that grunge vocals, but more of the, um, like I said, sugar, uh, Nirvana, uh, Doughboys, kind of just like a, an alternative rock sound, not so much grungy sound. Mm. Uh, you it. know, in the interview, I'll tell you that um, they were super young when they got signed. Uh, uh, Will had not graduated high school yet. The other guys had just graduated high school and were sort of trying to figure out what they were going to do with their lives when this off record offer came. Uh, but Will was still in high school and, 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 you know, sort of had to figure that out. Um, I, you know, I, I listen to that album still, it's on Spotify. Um, and I, and I, and I still have the CD and you can still find it in used bins really cheap. If you look, um, his voice sounded so mature for being a 17 year old high school kid. It just, it still like, it still blows me away. I still, it's very anthemic. Again, it's not grunge music, but it's like grunge vocals. Um, I just, I love it. I, I, I listen to it all the time still. The second record did not make it to Spotify yet. And we talk about that a little bit. And I think that they're a little bit confused why it's not there. And they're going to try to figure out how, how to get it up there. Um, but I talked to Will Copley, who was the singer, guitar player, and the bass player, Dave Alsop. Alsop. Uh, I will mention, it's kind of funny. So when the internet started, or like early days of the internet, mm -hmm. that was one of my favorite things was, was digging out these people who I had been listening to and trying to figure out like Fred Blanket, you know, in, in those days they put on an album in 94 and then the second album in 97. So three years was a long time. It felt like, like a lot of stuff in the music industry changed. And then after 97, I never heard from them again. And so like 98, 99, I'm go not Googling, whatever the search engine was, Yahoo or, um, and I actually ran across Dave who had moved to the U S and he talks about that in the interview. And he, he played in a couple bands in like the Baltimore and DC area, just like little, little bands that I don't think really ever did anything. Um, but I could never find out what happened to the rest of the guys. And so fast forward every couple of years, I get that, like, you know, again, the dig me out, the, the idea of digging out what happened to Brett Blanket. 
And um, I keep looking up the singer's name. Will Copley is not necessarily an unusual name, but it's not a common name. And I ran across his LinkedIn profile. And, you know, it was a little bit, and, and he's like in the telecommunications industry. And I found like a, uh, a page on a website of the company he works for that talks about Will, you know, and his career. And I don't, there, I don't remember if there's mention of music at all. And I'm like, I know it's the same guy, but like maybe he's completely disowning his past. Um, but he didn't. And I, I'm trying to think how this all came about very. So I, I, I never worked up the nerve to send him, you know, a LinkedIn request. Cause that would be in my mind, kind of super weird. Like, Hey, telecommunications guy. Um, are you the same guy that was a singer for this band? Uh, but I think somewhere I saw that they were, they, they were going to put out a new single or something, or maybe I followed an Instagram account or something, but somehow I knew there was activity in the fret blanket in fret blanket camp. So I did send him a LinkedIn message. I'm like, Hey, I would love to talk to you about this stuff, you know, 25, 30 years later. And, and he was very kind and, and replied back and, and was surprised, I think a little bit that I had found him and that, you know, anybody still cared about his band. Um, but in the interview, so he, he, you know, you'll hear in the interview, he, he, he says that, uh, they're a little bit rusty at this whole interview thing. Um, cause I, you know, nobody's really cared about the band in 25 years and they're somewhat forgotten. And, um, I don't know that this was the only interview that he's done, but it might be the only interview that he's done in the last recently. But, but so the reason, the reason for the, the buzz is that they are playing two shows coming up in April. Uh, these are shows he mentions in the interview that, um, one show is he can walk across the street and go in the front door of the club. It's basically that close. And <laughs> this is really my favorite kind of show. Yeah. This is really, you know, this is really a band that broke up because, and, and I, I think they mentioned that they didn't even really break up. It just sort of, you know, things just weren't happening. They kind of finished a tour. They all went home to start thinking about a third record. And then, you know, they started realizing, wow, before that third record comes out, we got to get some jobs and, you know, I, I, there was no hard feelings. Nobody quit. There wasn't a big fight. It was just by the time the third record came around, they realized that the ship had sailed and, and they should figure out what they wanted to do with their lives. And so, mm. um, they're doing the reunion shows, I think just because they maintain this relationship and they're like, Hey, it, it has been 30 years since we signed a record deal. Maybe we should do something. Yeah. But the other big <laughs> news too, is that they, they recorded a third record with, I'm going to say his last name wrong. And I don't even know, he might've been a guest at one point um or maybe you've talked about him tim pad padalan yeah we've oh, yeah. talked about him but we, he's not he hasn't been on the show so Detroit. he's done stuff with sponge and, and mm -hmm. watershed right they recorded their third record i think they said in 99 or 2000 with him hmm. and 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 nothing happened with it uh it never came out um I don't know if it was demos or it was whether it was intended to be a third record, but they have come across all this content. They've decided what the heck might as well put it out. So the, the long lost third fret blanket record is going to be coming out. Um, I think on March 30th, I believe cool. they, they put out a couple of singles. They had, I don't think they did anything to it. It's all from 20, 22, 23, 24 years ago. Um, Just dusted off the tapes and yeah. Send to the vinyl pressing. Uh, yeah. Uh, place and and they're gonna have a record that's pretty cool that's great yeah. 
they, well, they were they were a band. Oh, sorry, I'll say real quick. I know uh, we're running out of time here. They were a band sort of stuck in time, right? That that they came to the U.S. They had all these chances in the U.S. Nothing ever really happened for them in the U.S. Um, the only tour that that they could remember doing, they they did one off dates here and there, and they picked up a couple of shows. But the only really touring they did was with. At that point, it was just Boingo, not Oingo Boingo, which is a total mismatch. Um, I saw them play a show in Cincinnati. They headlined, I think. I don't remember much about the show, but that's where I interviewed them. But they, they were just a band that uh, I, I'm, I'm convinced that if one of their singles had had gotten more airplay or they were like one, just one lucky break away from, from being huge, in my opinion. I think it's mm. phenomenal music and I think everybody should check them out. Is it available on streaming? Uh, Junk Fuel is the first record. Home Truth from Abroad is not yet, but like I said, that's one that they're sort of working on. And I assume the new one will be. Yeah. The new one, uh, you know, I asked them about the vinyl craze and if they're going to do any vinyl and they said that, uh, no, uh, I think. Oh, they're, they're not. No, I think it'll be limited copies of the CD, but mostly digital. I think that they, uh, they are happy that people still care, but they don't think that they have hundreds and thousands of fans that would, that would buy vinyl right now. So, you know. Got it. Yes. All right. Well, let's get to the interview with Chip. So welcome, Dig Me Out listeners. I am here with Will and Dave from the band Freck Blanket. How are you guys doing today? Very good. Very well, thank you. Very good. You guys are uh, in the UK. You're five hours ahead of me, so it's nighttime for you. It's middle afternoon for me. Dave is not. He's raising his hand. I am raising my hand. I am not in the UK. I'm actually just outside of Washington, D.C. Oh, nice. where I've been living for the last, gosh, 25 years. So we are going to get into uh, that. and and, sure. and I yeah. and I actually think I know that. So uh, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna start off by telling you guys a little quick story. And I emailed Will this. Um, I got junk fuel in the mail. We were talking before we started recording about you know me being a journalist and I'd come home and I'd get packages in the mail and I'd go through the CDs and they they piled up and every once in a while I'd, I'd throw one in and I'd give it a quick listen and then go to the next one. And junk fuel was one of those ones that when I put it in, it stayed in for the whole duration. And I just, I fell in love with it. Uh, Will, I sent you the review and I think I, I think I said something like in, in a, in a world of, um, cheap bean burritos and three beer buzzes, I was looking for something to kind of give me meaning to life and something that, that made life worth living. And, and Fret Blanket was that band for me. Um, so that was my initial thing. And then I ended up interviewing you guys for a magazine called Moo Magazine. You were on tour and you were in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is about a two hour drive from where I'm at. You played at Sudsy Malone's, which was a laundromat slash venue. That is all I remember. I don't know if you were on tour with another band or if you were headlining. Um, uh, we were definitely we were definitely on tour. That's for sure. And the the recollection I have of Sudsy Malone's 
is that it was a laundromat. Yes. If I'm not mistaken. And that was uh, extremely un unusual for us, obviously. I think a lot of what we were doing, a lot of what we did at that time was quite alien to us, especially when we were coming over to the, to the US and we were just very sort of culturally unaware, you know, um, but playing in a playing in a laundromat was was a new one for us, and I seem to recall that was one that we were kind of looking forward to because we were like, well, "What's this going to be about?" And it turned out to be just like playing in a laundromat, yes, <laughs> in front of a bunch of people doing their laundry. Do you remember? Were you were you on a tour with another band, or was it? Were you guys kind of doing your own dates? Uh, here's my memory, and I'm I'm confusing memories. I mentioned before we started recording too that uh, memories from 1994 or 1995 or a little bit fuzzy for me. I definitely know that I saw the band Knapsack at Sudsy Malone's. Would you have been playing with Knapsack? Probably that not based on not your- not ring a bell. Okay. Um, I, I feel, I, I think at that stage, Will can probably correct me here. I think we were on our own at that point. Oh, we I were think just sort of playing. What, what can you remember about the, the van chip? Was, was, was it, was it I, like just to afford you know, I don't remember at all. So yeah. I think we, we didn't. It wasn't a tour bus, was it? No, no, no. It was a van. Okay, then we were definitely on our own. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, Dave, I will get to the fact that you live in the U.S. in a second because that is another part of my story. But let's kind of go back. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the start of Fret Blanket. So, uh, it's a four-piece band. Um, you guys met in school. You were young when the band started, if I recall correctly. Yes. If you, um, I mean, if you want to go all the way back to the very beginning, when did we meet? I think, Will, you and I met when uh, I believe our, our mothers were together at a young mother's uh, meeting or something. You might yes. not even have been born at that point. Uh, in, in, indeed. So, yeah, our, our mothers were... Uh, in Starbridge and um uh, yeah was it the what was it called now um the was it the nhs no 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 not the, not the, no 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 hang on hang on the no the national the nhr the nhr they were in the oh, NHR, okay the national the national housewives registry or something oh, like that right yeah 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 um, so essentially yeah will and i have known each other since we were babies basically um and i think I met Matt. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to translate to American for uh, for you will here. But I think I met Matt when we were in I'm gonna say third grade, mm -hmm. and I think I met Clive when I was in fifth grade. So that's when the four of us all knew each other knew each other as friends. Yeah. Um, and I think we probably started playing music together around about fourteen, something like that. I think 13, I was 13 and you guys were 14. Yeah. 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 And so I think listeners, I, I always tend to tell everybody my age, I'll be 52 this year. You guys are probably just a couple years younger than me. I've just gone 48. Okay. Yeah. I'm about to turn 49. Okay. So when you were 14 and starting, starting to play music together, what were you listening to at the time? Do you remember? <laughs> well, <laughs> so, so at that age, you know, it's very much uh, the it's your pre, you kind of pre your formative music years. It, it, oh, if sure. you like, um, so you're almost at your you know em embarrassing first forays into into music, um, but you know, 
Dave, I remember Dave being into, you know, some quite weird metal stuff. Halloween. Probably not even that weird. Just general yeah. metal, I'd say. Just a lot of metal. 80s um, metal. You know, I guess. Um, Matt was pretty into metal too, and I think probably still is, in fact. Um, yeah. Whereas Clive brought the uh, the more melodic indie pop stuff, didn't he? Well, quite quickly we so 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 at our first the the the, the fret blanket law, you know, the, the 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 real early days when we we covered when I'm sixty four and um what oh. What else did we cover, Dave? Well, we were trying to cover like, okay, well, I'll tell you. Um, at that time, if I remember rightly, the, the the one thing that kind of brought us all together, oddly enough, for a very short amount of time was actually you 2 I think. Right. We yeah. kind of got, I think we all went to see like, it was right around the time of like uh, Joshua Tree and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think we, all, we went to see Rattle and Hum when that came out mm-hmm. at the cinema, their tour movie. And there was something about that that just kind of, I don't know, seeing seeing them kind of play, you know, in front of huge crowds and it was quite inspiring, I think. I, I know I came out of that thinking, like, that looks like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And we just sort of started trying to play it. So I do seem to recall we tried to cover a bit of, like, maybe a bit of U2, but also, yeah, a little bit of Beatles. And then some of the other stuff we were listening to at the time uh, that, was on, that was going on, like... Uh, stone roses we mm-hmm. definitely tried to cover i mean if i remember rightly though it was pretty difficult for us to even get through a song at that point you know mm-hmm. we we were having a hard time even finishing at you know mm-hmm. finishing a cover um but uh i think the oddly enough i think the person who uh might have really set us on our way was actually clive's cousin who i never met but i know would he was a bit older than Clive and he mm-hmm. would give Clive all this really great indie stuff that we had never heard of. And then Clive mm-hmm. would sort of filter it through to us. That's how we got into things like Pixies, Swerve Driver, stuff like mm-hmm. that, you know, the wedding yeah. present. Um, and that's when it really started to click, I think, when we were listening to that kind of music. So we sort of brought all those different weird, like 14 year old influences and mashed them all together mm-hmm. You know, with what, with what, with the other sort of cooler indie stuff that was going on at the time. Yeah, I think when I was fourteen, I mean, I I totally get that. When I was fourteen, I was probably watching MTV and listening to the radio and kind of whatever was being force fed. Um, I was, again, listeners who listen to this enough know that I I to this day, but especially in the late eighties, was a huge metal fan, but not even like heavy metal, like the the hair metal stuff, like the mm-hmm. Def Leppard and Poison and Motley Crue oh, and yeah. Rat and all that stuff was just, mm-hmm. uh, that was my, that was my dream to be <laughs> in one of those bands. I can't play any instruments, but that was, that was for me. Uh, I did not have older siblings, so I was not, or older relatives passing music down to me. So like I said, I, I, I really just followed along with whatever was popular at the time. And it wasn't until I was in college that I sort of branched out a little bit. So, I mean, being 14 and liking that stuff, makes total sense to me uh, we, uh, there was a lot of iron maiden wasn't there dave and uh, <laughs> I, think so, yeah. I, I think the first band I went it's quite to a bit was, of anthrax too i think an, anthrax awesome yeah man. <laughs> uh, uh the first band i went to see was the cult um but in terms of other bands the the, the other thing that that is important 
is, is of course the Starbridge bands and not just the Neds, the Poppies and, and, and the Stuffies, but there, there, there was, there was a scene, you know, there were bands playing and uh, one really local band that was important to us was, you know, the Swamp Donkeys. Yeah. Uh, so we used oh, to go yeah. around to, we used to go around to see them practicing on a, on a Saturday morning and, you know, it, they just gave you a bit of belief that, oh, you know, these guys are a band, they can do it, so why can't we? Um, yeah, those were friends of ours who were uh, maybe a year or two older than us, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and they were actually quite accomplished, you know, they could they could play. Uh, so we used to, yeah, we used to go hang around with them, like like Will said, and just watch them practice. And yeah, that was, that was pretty inspiring, I think, wasn't it, in terms of mm. us wanting to get together and do something similar. Mm. Maybe not musically similar, but uh, just you know the idea of the idea of, of playing like that with with you know all together. Yeah, it was, was it uh, all, was yeah. it always the, the four of you, or did you have other people come in and out, or how did how did it like? Very very soon it was just the, the the four of us. I think we 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 didn't have a we didn't have a I singer for a while. Yeah, I don't think we were really a proper band until it was just us four. And, and That's right. It, yeah. it, and then Will came in to sing. Uh, I don't think Clive had ever... He, he never he didn't even play guitar, did he, until he joined the band, basically. Well, that, 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 was, like, the same, that was the same for me. I bought a guitar to join the band. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. It was... Yeah. yeah, we were... Yeah, we wanted to be in a band before we knew how to play instruments. <laughs> 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 so uh yeah that's how that that did happen that way so uh, i mean there might have been like one or two of the guys you know in the extremely early days that we kind of hung around with but it wasn't really a proper band it was the band once it was the four of us and i was singing for sure yeah but be, yeah. before that it was uh experiment well, it was just sort of trying least. to yeah trying to figure out how to play our instruments yeah. wasn't it i suppose yeah. and, that, and that was very early that as i say i was that was 13 14 um and then, and then, not long after those covers, some of which were really, you know, a bit off the wall. <laughs> did did I dream covering "The Only Way Is Up"? Uh... <laughs> Wait, <laughs> you maybe, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. it's possible that we did have a go at that. Yeah, yeah, we did try some weird stuff. I think, but 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 then pretty quickly we got our own little. Well, Clive started writing. Uh, yeah, that's all down to Clive, and um, and we got a, a little repertoire going, um, and and quite soon enough of a repertoire to 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 play some play some gigs. So um, I think well, it, it was it was quite fortunate, really, wasn't it, that Clive went from literally only picking up a guitar for the first time to suddenly becoming a really good songwriter in mm. an extremely short space of time. Yep. So I think that was, you know, just serendipity, really. I mean, yeah. who knew that he would sort of turn out to be able to do that, right? Yeah. Because I mean, yeah. 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 Um, he, he really is, what you know, was, is, was the uh, the driving force behind the, the songwriting, 100%. Um, yeah. I mean, we all absolutely contribute to the songwriting but he he was the guy who would come in he would sit at home with his acoustic guitar he would come in and be like oh, i think i've yeah. got a song here and then well, with all, a fully formed song. we'd all play yeah. on it yeah yeah, yeah. Um, um, and we all you know we would all contribute our own our own parts to the song yeah he had sort of the skeleton for it but i mean yeah i mean without without that without his talent we we wouldn't be sitting here 
talking to yeah. you about it. So yeah, sure. and, and so that was so that was 14, 13, 14. You were signed by the time you guys were uh, seventeen. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, and, and you got to think. <laughs> I, and I don't know this, but I'm assuming like none of, none of you at the time when the band started dropped out of school to concentrate on writing songs, right? And so you're balancing being students, learning instruments, and three years later getting a record deal is pretty amazing. Yeah, the, the, uh, teenage, you know, a, a, a obsession, you know, it's that uh, absolute single-minded uh, focus on it, really. I mean, I, 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 I used to, I used to think about little else um sure i mean we 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 used to practice at will's house uh we were fortunate in that regard in that we had a space where we could go and that was literally sort of the stopping point wasn't it on on the way back from school for everybody so we would you know we would get out of school we would head straight to will's house down the cellar and uh start banging away on, on the instruments mm. pretty much every day really wasn't it i mean felt like it yeah yeah, yeah. and so like you said so, you were uh, experimenting trying stuff out once it became the four of you it felt like a real thing when did the band name come about <laughs> um well we were <laughs> we were the Jellyheads initially Briefly. Um, yeah, initially, yeah. Were, were we were we the painters or something awful for a while well no i think what happened was we we decided that we wanted a new name and yeah we went through a whole ton of just like not very good ideas. And then eventually we came upon that one, which was literally a, a, a question of, I might be wrong here, but I think it was Chris Perks, our friend. Mm -hmm. We were just sort of like, let's stick two words together and see what comes out. And, you know, mm -hmm. he came up with those two words and we were like, and you know, like so many things in life, it ended up being the, that'll do until we can think of something better. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then that was it for uh yeah. forever so yeah yeah mm. so so i'm sure a lot of bands have done that no yeah so how does the how does the record deal happen like you must have mm. were you just sending stuff out or do you have well, friends no, in the industry so, or something so so clive was writing songs and and you know they were getting better you know that some some of the the first few I think you know fair to say a little bit ropey and 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 then we got a kind of a, a solid you know set's worth and and then some really started to kind of be be notably you know uh, sing sing alongable really uh, and um, and we were rehearsing well, as as well as down down my cellar. There was a rehearsal room just off the Ring Road in Stourbridge, where proper proper bands were rehearsing, and proper bands with their crew, and you know the the, the bands would kind of be would whisk in and out, and we wouldn't particularly see them, but we, but we'd hang around with, with the crew a little bit, and they'd hang around and hear us play. And the, the really one of, one of the really great things about Stourbridge and, and and the history of the whole uh, adventure really is that far from you know these guys in the music business uh, you know scoffing at us and going you know ah oh, you know kids they uh, they were genuinely interested and wanted to see us 
succeed and so 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 they get they they listened and 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 would would then talk about it with 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 managers and other people and and before we knew it we had people coming to hear us and um and there you go um i'm trying to remember yeah was, well that was definitely a case of you know just happening to be in the right place at the right time for us wasn't it the fact that there was that that studio that tiny little horrible studio off the ring road um mm. which was great but i mean that was the other place we used to get so we would go to will's house to practice and then we would go and hang around just hang around right at the, the fridge sort of hoping to hear something or talk to someone what was or, the other song know. dave I, th I think was it was it was it what do you know because this was pre-twisted yeah that was one of them for sure that might have been the one actually that got the the, the person who who essentially hooked us up was um uh, Simon Effamy, who worked at the Fridge as a, as a an audio engineer, was also the Wonderstuff's live sound engineer. So he had all those contacts there, and it, the way that we got from there to the record deal was basically uh, Simon put us in touch with Dave Aldridge, who was the Wonderstuff's ex-manager, and he then had all the contacts. Uh, with the record labels. So as soon as he got involved and took us under his wing, that's when it really sort of took off. So it really was again, sort of, yeah, right place, right time. We, we had, you know, they had these kids who were like writing some pretty good songs and had did a good live show. And, uh, you know, we, they, like I say, took us under their wing and mm -hmm. sort of, we went forward from there. And they, um, they arranged for us to do a demo um which i'm pretty sure was what do you know and a couple of other songs perhaps it, it might have been 28 feet high and perhaps perhaps even captain invisible which i still think is a cracking song mm -hmm. um and then suddenly we were having meetings with record companies in in the cellar so <laughs> yeah. we you know it was polygram emi a&m sony sony yeah. Yeah, and so these guys would would literally, you know, come to my parents' house, say hello, climb down the cellar to my, you know, you know the, the the we rehearsed on one side and I slept in the other side, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. they'd come down and sit on the floor and and pitch to us and say, well, "This is why you'd sign a seven album <laughs> record deal with us, lads." Yeah. And again, you Which... you guys are you guys. Sorry, Sorry, it looks like my microphone keeps switching. It's trying to pick up my, it's coming through the microphone part, right? It keeps changing. It keep. I keep getting a pop-up that it's changing to my webcam microphone. Anyway, hmm. um, but you guys were still, I mean, were your parents down there listening to these pitches? Were your families there? I mean, no, not, not, not at that point, not, not at that point, but when we decided, well, there, 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 there was there was a conference, wasn't there, Dave, at your yeah. parents' house? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I remember that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They all got together. This was when we got to the point. I mean, they could sort of see where it was going, and you know, they were they were all very supportive of what we were doing. Um, they, uh, um, 
when it got to the point where we were actually literally about to sign a record deal, we all had a sort of a family, you know, families meeting and all talked about it just to make sure we were doing the right thing. Because what you've got to bear in mind is that at that point we were, well, Matt, Clive and myself were on the verge of graduating from high school. Uh, we were about to go off to university. We'd all applied and been accepted to go to university to do various things. Um, and Will at that point, Will is a year younger than we are. So he was still, he was just about to go into the equivalent of 12th grade. And so he had to drop out basically to, to if he wanted to continue. So for us, it was it was a slightly less difficult decision because obviously we could just sort of defer our placements at university. And the idea was, well, you know, if this doesn't work out, we can always go back and study and do other things. Uh, and it would be foolish for us to to miss up on this, you know, to pass up on this opportunity. Uh, I think will maybe a bit more of a difficult decision for you, given that you had to drop out or maybe not I don't yeah i mean look it, it was it was a thing uh i mean funnily enough having a you know a 14 year old lad now um uh, you know we're, we're having discussions about you know if you if you stop doing this you know you you you, you close the door on that and and blah blah, <laughs> blah 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 but having said that we were being offered a record deal and i think you know our our, our parents you know, recognised that that was actually pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, they they absolutely understood that this was not an opportunity that a lot of people get. So, um, they they were they were supportive. Yeah. Uh, so I don't even remember. I mean, like I said, I have the CD, but I don't remember what, what label did you end up signing with. Well, it was Polygram. Okay. Um, well, it was specifically we were signed to Atlas Records, which Atlas was Records, a, yeah. a subsidiary of of Polygram at that Nick, point. Nick, Nick Gatfield, who had been at EMI, had signed Radiohead to EMI, then then moved to Polygram and was given his own vehicle. Uh, you know, I think the, you know the the guy who signs Radiohead probably gets his own label. Um, and, and obviously he had, you know, impeccable taste <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and made a, you know, and, and, and his, you know, he's a very, uh, I mean, I, I, joking aside, he is a, a very, uh, talented and bright chap all around. Do you know, I remember him picking up the Game Boy and, you know, annoyingly finishing Tetris. You know, and he would sit down at a grand piano and annoyingly play the piano, and pick up a cello and annoyingly play the cello. Um, you know, he he was a a very bright guy and and made a really good pitch. and And I think he had a good a good organisation there, right? And and clearly, you know, liked liked us, valued us, said all the right things yeah. about you know us having a career and you know giving giving us time to develop and all that stuff, which to a large extent he followed through on. Well, I and I think that we made the right choice going with him ultimately. In I mean, I'm going to say that perhaps we wouldn't have had the chance to make Home Truths if we hadn't gone with with Nick Gatfield because mm. uh, we were kind of his his pet project, weren't we? Really, yeah. at that point, yeah. so he he gave us lots of chances. Mm. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, he, I think also one of the reasons we were interested in doing that was because. 
sort of the pitch was that most of what we would be doing would be in the states right they had definitely had this idea that our music would be would work better in america than it might in the uk at that time i mean with that we were only we we're sort of i guess they were sort of in the very early stages of Britpop at that point right and we were we were definitely not a Britpop band um and i think there was something to be said for the idea that what we were doing was probably going to be a bit more appealing to an american audience yeah. at that point they, they you know of, of course it's it's the great it's the great it's the holy grail isn't it to 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 go and, and break america and they they thought we might be able to do it with with the the, the lyrical and I'm so, sorry you know avoid the word really but we did have a grungy sound the voice mm-hmm. was the voice was grungy um so that kind of crossover you know it it, it, it could have worked you know uh, yeah <laughs> but i think obviously you know it, with years of hindsight you do realize of course that essentially we were one of many, you know, four-piece white male guitar yeah. rock band who were signed in the wake of, of Nirvana and, and grunge to sort of hopefully try and continue that uh, that movement along, you know what I mean? So yeah. uh, I'm sure you've talked to, to many other bands who have been in that exact position, right? I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know. But, 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 well, I mean, your voice was, was very mature sounding. Um, I mean, I think in that review, I, I talked about Kurt Cobain and, mm-hmm. and, and sugar. And, and so it mm-hmm. does make sense that like, in my mind, you told, you, you did fit the U S mm-hmm. alternative sound at the time. It, yeah. There was, there was definitely the grunge stuff, but I mean, sugar wasn't really a grunge band, but, uh, right. you know, I, I kind of heard that a little bit of that in your music as well. Did, did. I know a band in Ohio, they're not around anymore, it was about five, six years ago, and they had some management interest, and the person who signed the 1975 mm-hmm. ended up managing them. Cool. And his advice to them, not his advice, his, what he told them to do is stop playing shows, go to the basement, write for the next year, and mm-hmm. come out write a hundred songs and come out with 10 really good ones. Were you, were you given that kind of advice or was it like they signed you and whisked you into the studio and then there you go? I, I'm not, I'm not sure what advice was given to Clive. Clive, Clive, Clive was, Clive was driven to write and, and, and took writing seriously, but it, it felt more like the latter. When you look at the timeline, you know, we went off to New York and signed the label and, we certainly, I don't know, we didn't immediately tour, but we, we went into the studio. It felt like quickly, right, Dave? I... Yeah, I mean, I think everything happened quickly back then, oddly enough. I mean, all this happened in a pretty short space of time. But at the same time, I don't recall being told to go and write a ton of songs, but I know that we did that anyway. Mm. It was like, that's just what we were doing naturally. I mean, I know... We demoed every single song that was on Junk Fuel. We recorded it before we recorded it for real. Uh, but we must have recorded at least twice as many songs, like if not three times as many songs. I think we probably, we, we must have had at least 25, 30, maybe even 40 songs at that point. Why was it that many? Okay. I, I mean, I still have a bunch of these on cassette, right, uh, that are sort of lost to time. And to be fair, the ones that we left off were left off you know, for good reason, right? The best ones went on there. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but yeah i mean that was definitely part of the process it wasn't like we just sort of it wasn't like junk fuel sort of sprang fully formed you know one afternoon from from a, a writing session it was definitely a lot of hard work a lot of songs got written got completed and got recorded and then we just almost immediately just discarded it's like that one's not going to make the cut um but that was that was probably closer to the time that we actually went in to record i'm gonna say because junk fuel came out in 94 we we recorded it in 93 i believe so and we signed in late 92 so i think 93 we basically just spent the entire year writing but then i'm like we also toured in 93 so like what were we doing we must have just been like non-stop writing recording and touring. Well, you know there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a lot of time when you're not uh you know uh Looking, looking after kids and uh, earning a living. Absolutely, yeah. Where did yeah, you record? Uh, well, we would we did all those initial demos at the the fridge in Stourbridge, okay. the ISATs. We did a lot there, wow. um, and we did some in Birmingham. Some of those demos. The the album. Whew, okay, let's see. Jugfield itself was recorded at Ridge Farm. Yeah, this is this is where our memories are going to start getting fuzzy because <laughs> all these studios kind of blur, blur, blur together after a yeah. while. Uh, pretty sure Junkfield was at Ridge Farm, which was a I don't think it exists anymore. Oh uh, um, no, hold on, no, hold on. Oh, Will's Comfort's got the place. facts in front of him. I have Comfort. I've, I've dug out the, the the gig diary. Comfort's place, according to the gig diary. Okay, which was also a residential studio in Surrey, right? Yeah. We spent a lot of time in these residential farmhouse studios in Surrey. There were a lot yeah. of them. Which yeah. very nice. And that, that was that was Tim Palmer who was who was good company man. He that was that was good good times, wasn't it? Yes. So Tim Palmer is the guy he mixed he worked with uh Tin Machine and he produ uh, he didn't produce it. He mixed Ten by Pearl Jam. Mm -hmm. Oh wow. So he was kind of a big big name at the time. And I think the label wanted us to work with a big name kind of guy just to see what would happen. Uh, but he was, he was, he was British, wasn't he? Well, yeah. Tim Palmer. Yeah. Um, he was a good guy. Yeah. In, in the wake of Nirvana and Radiohead and from a fan's perspective, you know, my assumption is that every band that gets signed gets a million dollar contract and mm -hmm. is like totally taken care of. But as I, as in, to your point, as time goes on, I talked to a band recently that said that their advance from their label was $15,000 of which they owed their, their lawyer who looked over the contract, 12,000 of that. So they said that their initial deal was, was nothing. So what kind of deal did you guys get? If you don't mind sharing that? Well, I, I, I don't, I mean, I, th I think, I think when we signed the deal, I got 500 quid and they said, you know, go and buy some clothes and I, and I spent <laughs> yeah. it all. Uh, spent it all playing pool in at at, at the Bell in Stourbridge. Um, there, there, there was no there was no big lumps of cash, and yeah. and you know and 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 he, and if there had if there had been, frankly, you know, what we wouldn't have done is gone and bought you know sports cars and gone and torn up uh, you know Camden Town in, in in London. We still would have spent it all at the playing pool. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The, the the money was all. It was like we spent a lot of money. I'm going to say it was it was sort of any. tens of thousands of pounds, but it was all earmarked for things that weren't us. I mean, it's like you know, it's it's amazing, really, how 
everybody involved with the project got paid. Like everybody around us got paid except us, right? I mean, we didn't get paid. We would get like a we would get like a per diem when we went and did shows. It's like the 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 crew would get paid, the sound man would get paid, the driver would get paid. We would get like ten quid spend on cigarettes, right? So literally, <laughs> and, uh, the, the band that I was talking about um, is the band Ivy, and uh, they were on Atlantic, and their story is exactly your story. They said everybody got paid. They said Motel Six got paid, Waffle House and Denny's got oh, yeah. paid, the, oh, the van the van driver got paid, the catering got paid. We didn't get paid. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of my favorite stories was, it was actually when we were making Home Truths, we were in another one of these very posh, fancy residential farmhouse studios in Surrey. And, um, you know, we're, we're living in the studio. We're there for like six weeks or something like that. Like all our food's being made for us and, you know, uh, the it's everything sort of being done for us. And then halfway through me and Clive had to get on a train and go back to Stavridge so we could sign on the dole. Cause you know, we didn't have any money and we didn't have a job. <laughs> we had to get out, we had to go and get our welfare check halfway through uh, recording the record and then back down to Surrey pretending like we weren't actually working. So yeah, yeah. it was, it was a, it was a weird time for sure. Yeah. So you said you were doing some touring before the record or in 93 and 94. Were you instantly out in the U.S. or were you doing stuff at home first? Or or how did the, what did touring look like early on? Uh, I, I, I happen to have the, the, the gig diary open here. So, yeah. so while you're pulling that up, let me ask you that question. Yeah. Um, were you, so obviously you were keeping all that back in the day. Keeping track of everything. Well, Dave I was. Didn't, I, uh, I, I didn't I, write a diary. I just, for some reason, I wrote down every gig that we ever played after yeah. we did it, just in my in my you know file of facts. Um, and uh, it wasn't like I was keeping notes on what happened at every gig. I just wrote yeah. wrote them down and who we played with. So yeah, I actually do have a, a record of so, that going. So all here we go. I've got, I've got here. Um, we signed the deal on the twenty eighth of October ninety two. I won't tell you all the gigs, but we played with uh, Pulp that Christmas at the Powerhouse in London. And we played in Camden, Middlesex Uni, Keele Uni, Bradford Uni, Sussex Uni, Cambridge Junction, Bath Moles. Um, in the March, we played with Radiohead at the Camden Underworld. Then we went to... Glamorgan Uni, Warwick Uni, Leeds, Duchess of York. That's one I can actually remember. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we played, yeah, so, so the, the, the Market Tavern in Kidderminster comes up. Um, Newcastle Riverside, uh, so, which is another one I can remember. Around we played, that time, we got the... Fiddler, yeah. We got the, the single of the week in the NME, like around yeah. that time, right? So the, we put out an EP first, Um before junk fuel was released and that would have been actually we put out a couple of eps didn't we yeah and that was really the first thing that we did and then we started playing sort of i don't know if we ever exactly toured we we did a, a lot of gigs but they never sort of felt very you know congruent uh, and this is all all in 93 the, these raw gigs decent gigs actually in the in the uk we we we, we squeezed in recording junk fuel 
London Uni, Hulladelphi, Leeds Duchess of York, I remember that one, Manchester Uni, the Market Tavern, and then, two weeks later, New York Limelight Sporting Midway still. <laughs> that was yeah. that the first American... It looks like it. So that, that was November the second, ninety three. New York, New York limelight, and I have no recollection of that whatsoever. <laughs> Isn't that weird. Yeah. No recollection of the show, but do you remember what your feelings were when you came to the U.S. and kind of took in, took in the U.S.? Well, I'm, I'm just looking at this. I think the one I'd re- so we went New York, Boston. Do we play? Do we play brownies then at that time as well? well? I, I'm not seeing brownies immediately here, but I remember, I remember New, New Jersey Melody Bar. I'm pretty sure I remember yeah, that. that was I, I, I seem to remember that that EP had come out. It got single of the week in early earlier in '93, and then I think it was for CMJ, maybe. Yeah, I'm not sure what time yeah. of year that is, but I know that they put out "Twisted" as a single, like a seven-inch single for CMJ. Yeah, and I think we went to New York and played some of those shows around that whole. Well, this is, convention at the so time. this is interesting. Yeah, so, so so we played a few gigs in that November, and then we we must have ah. So then we went to Madison and mixed Junk Fuel in 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 uh, with Mister Colson. That's right. And and then in in the January we're back to New Jersey, and I remember Asbury Park. So I remember. Oh, so I remember to, to, that. To, yeah, what what Squeezing. amazing gig that was. Um, <laughs> So to answer your question about about traveling, how we felt, how I felt, you know, landing in America that that I guess what would have been the second time, you know, absolutely feeling like you know, king of the world really. You'd land at JFK and and they'd send a town car out, you know, so you'd be picked up in a limo, taken to Lowe's Hotel. Um, yeah, some fancy the hotel they put you up in. Yeah, and so you'd get, you know, you'd be there, you'd have a. You know, it would just be very nice, and and then you start getting taken out for dinner. The record company just, you know, all had credit cards that that needed to be emptied, so that so you so you'd have you'd have dinner, you'd be going to gigs, you'd, and people want to meet the band, you know. So so look, it was chip, it was flipping amazing, uh, you know, <laughs> um, and, and and you know, and still that culture shock for for you know for for, for me as a yeah. lad from Starbridge. But bearing bearing in mind, the first time I'd been on a plane was my trip to New York to sign the record deal. And I never really expected to leave the country, let alone, you know, fly to New York to sign a record deal. So so yeah. you'd be you'd you'd land at JFK, somebody would, would stand there with your name, you'd jump in a town car and you'd be rolling along, you know, the freeway next to the yellow cabs, bouncing along. And just think, you know, well, okay, fine. Well clearly this is it, you know, we we've we've made it. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah, I mean it was, it was almost was bizarre, wasn't it? Just yeah. like just complete like I said earlier earlier on, just sort of a very sort of alien experience. Because for me, America was like it was exactly like it looked on TV. That's, that was the weirdest exactly thing about it. it. It's not like, quite a culture shock because you Yeah, because be- you're very familiar because you with know it already. All, right. Yeah, but suddenly you're immersed <laughs> in it, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, so, uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, uh, so the album comes out in '94, mm-hmm. and then you tour. And like I said, I saw you. I think probably '94, '95, but or whenever '94-ish. Um, was it all headlining stuff, or were you picking up? It was funny because when I when I sent you that article, when I interviewed you, I think, um, 
I don't have it right in front of me, but I think you were talking about hoping to get on a couple tours. Yeah. And and, and that I think now with 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 respect to Oingo Boingo, um, I don't think we had the best luck getting on a getting on a tour. And I, I don't I don't know what the what the situation I was gonna say I that. feel like this is where you know, for all the for all the limos and fancy hotels, this is sort of where the, the label didn't do a very good job, which was finding a good tour to put us on. Like I think that could have that could have made a, a big difference back in the day. But mm. somehow we never actually ended up doing a, a proper tour with a, a proper headliner, right? Which I think mm. we could have really benefited from. We played a bunch of shows with Boingo, but that always seemed like a weird, weird fit to That's me. That's very weird. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we didn't, you know, we didn't really know them or their music or, you know, it was, it was pretty peculiar. Um, so I think, I think, you know, that, that was, that was a bit of a miss and I'm not sure, I'm not really sure why that didn't come together better. We did do, we did do our own headlining gigs. They would have been in, mm. you know, some much smaller places. Um, Apologies. Like I mean, Malone, for example. So, well, indeed. And, and, and brownies, which I think we all remember fondly in new york and then um uh, and then i'm uh, club, uh, club lingerie in, in in la in la yeah yeah um so brennan's bar in la and then it, it's funny you know looking through this list you know brennan's bar la kid of Insta market tavern <laughs> <laughs> um i think we headlined the did we headline the troubadour in la that was kind of the yeah, it could be. We did all right um, in LA. So yeah, it looks did, like, I, yeah, and 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 learned to love it as well. I was I didn't get on with LA to start with at all, but but then really settled in. <laughs> so it looks like when I talked to you, you were hoping to get on a tour with the Meat Puppets. Oh, okay. We did play with them, but it wasn't a tour. But we definitely yeah. played with them three or four times. I seem to recall we played. Oh, we played with them in Boston because we opened for Hole and the Meat Puppets. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then we played with them in Toronto. I remember they were nice guys. I don't remember. I, don't, I think that might have been all we did with them. But yeah, so that was around that time as well. Yes. So Basically, you know, we, in, in you know, we just like ran into a lot of. We ran into a lot of big bands. You know, we were we were big band adjacent. Yeah, yeah. So in hindsight, being able to look back, and you know. I don't want to play the regrets game, but do, do you feel like if you had been on a tour, if you had been opening for somebody that this might be a whole different story? This is, I mean, there's a, a, a million sliding doors yeah. moments could have happened, yeah, yeah. but, but I think you think over, overwhelmingly the, the huge luck we had to be in a band and, and, and be professional musicians for, I don't know, 15 years, whatever it was, tour America. I mean, Dave and Matt now live in America because they married American girls. So really regret, you know, and, and, and what could have been really, really doesn't come into it. it, what, it what is strange is that, that, that for a long time, for a very, a very, very long time, you know, the, 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 this whole musical career was a past life and there was even a time where I, you know I was, I, i'd say i don't i don't i really don't want to talk about that it's it's it, it, it's it's a it's long it i, I need to kind of I, i've moved on you know I've, i'm doing something different now and and it, so it's funny that 
we we broken through that period and and i don't know perhaps because of the the 30-year nostalgia cycle perhaps because of covid perhaps just because you know i went to see um buffalo tom in you know december 2019 and just and just have this overwhelming feeling of i really want to do that you know i just i just i that so could be us i mean wouldn't be as good because they were amazing but I, we could totally be on that stage in this room doing this now. And I just had this, and, and you know, and, and that was when we started talking about it, guys, we can do this. Let's, let's, let's start talking about doing it. Yeah. But there was, but there was that period where it was, where it was kind of gone, you know, and, and part of the reason why, why, why we can't remember very much of it is we haven't been talking about it for 20 years. Sure. <laughs> well, I don't want to gloss sure. over the second record, right? So the first for record sure. is out. Um, there's a label, like, had you run through the album cycle or did the label say, okay, this is, let's get you back in the studio or like how, what was, what was that between the first and second record? What was the, what was going on? The, the one thing I'd really remember about that, that gap was that it felt really long. Like, I think we were kind of itching by the time we were done with Junk Fuel and we put it out and toured, you know, we'd made a couple of videos and we'd come home. And I think we were just kind of itching to keep the ball rolling, right? To like get back in the studio and write more songs and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, I'll be honest, I don't actually know how many records we sold of Junk Fuel. I don't, I have no clue. Oh, it's probably out there on the internet somewhere these days, but like, ask chat GPT, it'll tell you. Yeah. Uh, or, or convincing five million. An answer yeah. anyway. <laughs> yeah, it'll, it'll just make up something impressive sounding. Um, but, uh, uh, I, I, but I will say, I don't think that it was, it was enough records really for us to have made a second record on a major label, which is where the sort of the Nick Gatfield connection came in, I think. Um, like we we could have been done after that record, but he was like, "I want to give you guys another shot." And I think at that point, though, the pressure started coming on. Probably more on Clive. I'm going to say he probably got more of this to you know go out there and write a hit single, kind of thing for the second record. And so we did again. We made a lot of demos. Uh, we did a lot of demos in between Junk Fuel and Home Truths. And it just felt like a real sort of slow process. I think we kind of felt like we got it at some point or another. And then the label was like, you know, keep trying, keep trying. And so I mean, there was a four-year gap between those two records. Oh, and yeah. I don't think we needed four years to make a second record. You know what I mean? Like we yeah. were we were fired up at that point. But, you know. We obviously we couldn't tell them what to do, so you know that we were kind of stuck with it, really. And and I don't know um, because you said like you were sort of given that that second album opportunity. Um, did you go into that kind of knowing that that second record was going to be it? Oh no, I I, I mean I I don't think so. Will I mean. I, I, as far as I'm concerned, we went. We were like, we're going to be doing this forever. You know, I, I, <laughs> I think I'm, at that point, I had, I, I, I wouldn't have given it that much perspective. I'm afraid to say, I, I would have been, <laughs> I would have been enjoying myself, following my nose, doing what was in front of me, singing the songs, enjoying the hell out of it, 
and yes, and 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 think and not thinking about success or failure, really, which which is a very luxurious place to be. Yeah. So you, I mean, you did come out of the gate into the ocean. Was uh, at least for a for a a blip on the radar on MTV and won that twelve angry viewers or whatever the the show was. Mm-hmm. I actually remember watching that, and I'm almost positive that I that was that was when they brought a bunch of people together, right? And they played videos, and then I am almost positive. That a that a woman that I went to college with that lived next door to me and went to the journalism program that I graduated from, I'm almost positive that she was on one of those episodes, and I think it was on the episode you guys were on. Um, but but so like did did that propel a little bit? That was that the hit single that that the label was sort of looking for. Well, the the, the video was was fantastic. Yeah, and, and and a lot of fun. And by the and by the way, the videos in general were. Where, where a lot of money was spent we've yeah. um uh twisted direct approach um and, and yeah we did the three and, didn't we yeah and into the ocean yeah that that, that that's a that's a, a a wedge of dollars right there but um but no look it, it that was fantastic and the the the, the video was uh you know a, a work of a work of creative uh genius really and and um, really enjoyed, and and yeah, I mean, it felt like well, th- th- this could be it. This could be it. Um, I, I... well, th- this this was another place where we got a bit unlucky. So we had had a lot of good luck, and then we also had some sort of you know essentially career killing bad luck. And what happened right around that time um, was that uh, Universal Music Group. Uh, bought all the other record labels, right? Uh, and so uh, this was right. Again, if we'd put that record out earlier, like who knows? But I mean, again, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? But they uh, they uh, they put uh, Home Truths out, and not long after that, they had the huge label merger, um, where a lot of labels were just folded in under Universal, and uh, they just you know cut all the catalogs, and it was. You know, I'm sure there were a whole ton of bands that got the boot at that point that hadn't sold a million records, you know, us being one of them. So I think uh, that was the, the Into the Ocean video was very exciting because, um, if I remember rightly, the, the prize for winning the show was they would give you like a week or a month or something of like rotation on MTV, which was like a big deal at the time. Yeah. Uh, and so the label was was very pleased with that outcome because we got you know we got this we got this time on MTV, um, but soon after that it just sort of I don't know everything sort of fizzled didn't it really well would you agree? It it did and I, I look it's easy to to kind of blame the industry and everything else but wasn't my impression and this may be. Compl- completely wrong time-wise but wasn't wasn't the creation of music at that time kind of changing when 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 was when was gomez when when when, when did that am i getting that wrong in it, it you know gomez's first album which, which was kind of the, the people started talking about just recording albums in garages you know and and we were a big expensive lump of a band that had never sold any records <laughs> right. and suddenly you've got these young younger lads coming through who would 
record a record themselves. It's fun in it to say younger lads coming through. I think we were what, like 24 or 25 well, at the time. So Gomez put out their first record in 98. So yeah. Oh well there you go. Right. So I wasn't massively wrong. That's a makes a change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you're right. There was a yeah. there was a, a sort of a change in the industry around that time, wasn't there? Or in, yeah. Well well I think we we were we must have been costing, I don't know, a hundred thousand dollars a month, you know. Well I I, I actually met uh, up with our some years after you know, we were dropped and it, it, we'd sort of gone our separate ways. I, I ran into our old A&R man and I think he, he told me, he reckoned that like, I think he said that we had like spent like a million dollars basically, like on, you know, in the time that we had oh, been on their label. Oh, oh, and oh they, easily. You know, easily. And I was like, oh, well, yeah. it would have been nice to see some of that, but, you know. <laughs> But they could have just given it so, to us and yeah. moved on. But I mean, that's just, I mean, for, you know, these are like massive record levels, aren't they? They're yeah, just, they it's, can, a, it's an industry. They'll just write that oh, yeah. off. It's an industry and and, and, that's, and and they are ruthless when, when okay, we've dropped a million dollars on that. It hasn't worked. We will move on. And and, and to yeah. be fair, you know, as, as as we've already said, we we had a pretty good, a pretty good crack of the whip. Um, But that, that was a, a time when it, you, you, you know, it was a risky, a risky time, and we and we paid for it, I guess. So, a lot of the bands that I talked to had that story of out on the tour for the second record or third record, and stuck in the middle of Iowa or Ohio or Missouri, and they get a they get a call before they're going on stage that they're they've been dropped. Did did you guys were you guys formally dropped? Were you on tour? No, I, don't, or was I, it... I don't recall it ever <laughs> happening. It just we just kind of. We 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 kind of went home, and that was that. I, I don't. Well, we did also, you recall a message, Dave? I don't um, know. It it what well, it didn't it definitely didn't happen like that. It wasn't like there was this moment where we suddenly got a call and you know we were like it's all over. Um, we had parted ways with our manager mm. just before that happened. Right. Yeah, of course. Um, and. We were sort of, I think, I think we were quite aware at that point that the writing was on the wall, right? We, we didn't have a manager. We were kind of looking around for a new manager. Like Clive was kind of dealing with the label on his own. And, and Matt and myself were getting ready to move to the States. That was all sort of happening at the same time. And, I, and so I think when the, it wasn't like it wasn't like I recall the call coming in, but I think when when we got the news, however it came in, it just was kind of like, oh well, okay, you know, we I think we might have been mentally prepared for it at that point. Yeah, um, it, it seemed like it seemed like we had reached the end of something, at, you know, before it at the end actually came. Mm. Yeah, if that makes sense. Mm. And, and, um, I mean, we talk a lot on the Dig Me Out podcast about that that time period maybe a few years in that same sort of general time frame is like when new new metal started like corn and limp biscuit were coming uh -huh. out right and that was the next yes. flavor of the month so you guys were not going to survive in that world no uh, no no i mean yeah our, our sort of our, our time had passed in terms of the alternative rock scene i think for sure yeah so or at least at uh, that point so Dave, I now now's the right time to talk about this. So that was like to me sort of the earliest days of the internet. And as as one of my favorite bands of the time period, you sort of disappeared. And so I did it wasn't I don't think Google was even around. It was probably Yahoo or AOL something. Um 
I so you played in a band in Baltimore. I was able to find oh. that you had you had done some more music stuff. Will you you dropped off? Like I couldn't Google you or Yahoo you or search for you. Like I couldn't find anything about you. But I was interested in what happened to the band. And and I think Dave, I think it was you who's I got some information about being in another band. Yeah, I I kept going. Um, I know Matt. You know Matt has been playing as well the whole this whole time. I think of the four of us, I might be the one who sort of took it the most seriously going forward like uh i i i none, none of us while we were still in fret blanket we none of us ever played with any other musicians like we didn't have any side projects we didn't go off and do separate things um but once i'd moved over here uh you know because i mean this is the thing about fret blanket it's like we never it wasn't like we even came to a point where we're like, the band is breaking up. It's like, we never even had that conversation. We just sort of went our separate ways and we're like, see you in a few months. And that sort of <laughs> turned into years. And, you know, yeah. so, so being in uh, the DC area. Yeah. I, I met some guys. I used to go up to Baltimore all the time. Uh, they had a real, they had a nice little music scene going on at the end of the nineties there. There's some really good sort of power pop bands. Um, and so I just sort of joined, you know, played bass in one of those bands for a while. I played guitar in the, in a band in DC for a couple of years. Um, and then I've been playing bass with some guys down in Virginia as well. So I've sort of always just kind of kept my hand in, made some more records, but it was always at that point, it, it never felt ever again, like, um, like, a career if you if you know what i mean it yeah. was like it was like i've done that i'm like this is this is a hobby i've i've learned to play the guitar it'd be foolish to put it down now i'm just going to keep playing because i like playing and so it was my hobby at that point but yeah, I'm, and, I'm i'm glad i kept it up and and matt continued to be in bands after fret blanket uh i said? know he kept playing yeah i'm not sure what uh what his projects actually were but i know he i know he kept his he's still got his old kit and he still plays it yeah I think, uh, I think Clive guys. did do a little bit down in Brighton. Uh, he did, but this this was. I mean, I, I think the point is none none of. I mean, even Dave, who 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 was the most into it, it, it was it was not. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. You know, it never it never felt like it was a sort of a. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I enjoyed playing in those bands with those with those guys, but it wasn't. You know, it it, it couldn't yeah. possibly have been the same as. Was playing with the guys I grew up with, you know. So those you, years, you did a bit of singing at one point, didn't you, Dave? As well. Oh, uh, that came much, much later. But oh, yeah, I was okay. doing a little bit of that, but not, not lead singing. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so again, looking on paper, and and it probably felt different to you, but having started when you were, you know, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, it, it seems like you were. And like I said, this might sound funny, and I might be totally wrong. It sounds like you were smart to sort of get out when you got out. You were able to get that youthful stuff out and then you know there, there's a there's a lot of bands who are still pushing it uh, all the a lot of those bands that i talked that i grew up the 80s bands right the 80s ha hair metal bands there's they this is all they've ever done and they're rotating lineups and a lot of them don't have any original members but one some of them don't have any original members at all <laughs> you know but like right. it's that it seems like you guys were kind of realized okay it's time i did this and now it's time to move on is that fair to say well, I remember um, as, uh, as as 
a lot of you know uh, musicians end up doing. I I end up ended up living in my you know girlfriend's flat, um, and she and I and she just she went travelling around the world, and I was what twenty five, um, and I kind of thought, well, you know, I. I better, I better do something. You know, this isn't gonna, this isn't gonna work. Um, and you know, sorry, this is not the most interesting rock and roll story in the world. But it, where, the, the interesting thing is that the, when when Dave, Dave and Clive had, had been signing on, I was never very good at that because I, I, when people ask me if I want to do something, I say yes and then think about it afterwards. And so people used to ask me, do you, do you want to come and do this day's work? And this was almost all the way through the band's career, you know, are you doing anything tomorrow? Come and come and foot some ladders on a building site for us. So I'd do that. Um, and I ended up doing a bit of telecoms work and then suddenly that was all I knew how to do. And and, and, and I was doing a bit of telecoms work. And then it, as I say, when, I, when I, Elaine went off around the world, I thought, well, I better perhaps give this a bit of focus. And that's when the, 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 the dogged perseverance or focus part of my personality came in and I just gave that hundred and, Ten percent instead of fret blanket, because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's that. Yeah, that's the way it went. And, and uh, then yeah, I, think... I was say around that time is it, I, I don't know when that exactly was, but around that time when I started googling your name, I, I started getting results, and I had to do the, you know, right. the side by side pictures. Is that the guy from Fret Blanket? It looks kind of <laughs> like him, but like an older, wiser guy from Fret Blanket. And so then I, so then I, I'm thankful for this dig me out because I've always wanted to reach out to you and, and be like, Hey, I love your music, but this gives me a real opportunity. But I've been, I've been sort of stalking you on the internet from afar for, for a couple of years, just so you know. <laughs> well, this, well, the, 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 well, well, this happened and this, this was COVID of course. So, and, and, and modern technology and, and all that has really enabled a lot of this stuff. So, so, um after after we started talking in 2019 about doing the gigs uh which of course then because of covid didn't happen but but I, I put some of the unreleased recordings on youtube and people like yourself started finding me on on linkedin you know that that the most rock and roll of all the <laughs> and um and this gave me a bit of you know additional yeah is is that really you is this new stuff are you, you know are you guys are you guys touring again you know it was yeah. like, well no but it's but thanks for the interest that, that's very flattering and everything um and then of course this brings us kind of up to date so so, yep. so we, we decided it in 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 in, in the, the christmas of 2020 you know yeah well maybe we can do some gigs and we had a bit of a fret blanket conference about it why do we want to do a gig you know i i, I was just very keen to say i just really really want to do a gig and i i imagine doing a, a gig in london and a, a gig in Stourbridge and this is what it was and there were various other options kind of thrown up thrown around but that 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 was my imagination anyway of course then that didn't happen but 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 i did i did an acoustic performance for for from mate during lockdown and and that got the juices flowing and then and and then and then COVID ended and we, we started talking again about maybe doing it. And here we are, we have the gigs planned for April, um, April the 12th, 2023 at the Lexington at, in Islington in London and the, April the 15th, 2023 at a, 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 a venue I could probably chuck an apple onto the roof 
of from, from where I am now um, in 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 Kidderminster, and then and then we we were talking about it with the wall. This this material that the the stuff that, so and, and sorry we missed a whole section here. So right at the end of this period that we're talking about when it all closed down, right at the very end of that, we well I say we, Clive and and Tim Passelan who recorded the the, the home truths managed to to organise getting us to Tim's place in in um, Ann Arbor, mm-hmm. uh, Michigan. Oh, yeah. And and we recorded twelve or fourteen songs, and it was amazing. I mean, I, I mean, Tim Tim's the most amazing force of nature ever, and extremely talented. And we recorded the hell out of these songs, and and uh, we, we, with no record company money, as as I understand it. So basically, Tim, you know. Fed us yeah, you just let us go there. And, and 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 we lived at his place, and and he recorded. And you know, at one point the tape machine broke, and he did one of those crazy, you know, American, you know, twenty-eight hour round trips to to get the tape machine fixed and, and come back. And we just living there and, and and doing that, and and it was the best stuff we've ever recorded. I mean, okay, mate, would it have been five percent better if we'd had a <clears throat> hundred grand from the record company spent on it? Maybe, but it's. It's it's come out, you know. It 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 stands up, and um, yeah, and I think so... they were initially they were intended to be. It was almost intended to be a sort of a demo reel, right? For like if we were going to go off and seek, you know, new management, new yeah. label, that kind of thing. But Tim's uh, so creative; he, he would because... never do anything. Um, he would never well, do that's what I'm saying. I mean, his 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 demos are, you know. Yeah, you know, I mean, exceedingly good. I mean, that was album quality mm. recordings that he did for us. Well, what, um, one thing that, that Nick of the record company was used to say, you know, this guy can get stuff down on tape impeccably. He, you know, yeah. He, he works yeah. a lot with a band from Columbus, Ohio called Watershed. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they had a similar, you know, they had one record out on Epic and that was it for them. Um, back in the, around the same time period that you guys, but but they do a lot of work with Tim. I knew I recognized his name, and they they continue every couple of years to go up to Michigan and record with him. So that name is familiar to me. Well, we're trying to yeah. get in touch with with Tim. We 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 we'd love him to to you know hear hear the hear the release and and perhaps bump into him one day. Although I'm I'm concerned that twenty years in telecoms may have made our worlds <laughs> very very distantly different yeah. these days um but 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 uh, but anyway we we have we 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 selected eight of the tracks you know with 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 with, with um it's been emo- emotional kind of leaving a couple a couple off and, and put together an eight track album which i i i'm very proud of i think it's our, our best stuff and it's called the, the distance in between and it's being released at, at the end of end of march and yeah, and that is, I mean, what what a what a, a treat really to have released, you know, two albums so early and then gone off and and done tw- twenty four years of work and raise a family and you know paying a mortgage and everything else and then go, actually up my sleeve here, I've got another. <laughs> I've, oh, let's release this amazing album that yeah. we recorded. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah. Will there be a physical release or is it digital only? We have pressed up 100 
CDs, <laughs> which are sitting in, in at Clive's house, just in case anyone still has just a CD in, player. And yeah. it, it, it's all well. No one, no, no one has, of course. But we wanted an artifact, <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. And but it'll be available on on Bandcamp, and, and the CD will be available on Bandcamp, and on posters and T-shirts, and and all, and all of that good stuff. So we're um, there's seen, there, there's a lot of bands in in your boat that are doing vinyl. Have you did you think about that at all? Well, the, the funny thing is, vinyl wasn't our era. I, I know, right. I know, oh, yeah. I know, middle-aged guys are supposed to collect vinyl, but we we were we were post-vinyl in the yeah. first place, you know. So, although although to be fair, we had all the the ride EPs, didn't we? On 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 vinyl yeah, kind of it, vinyl wasn't it wasn't like back then. It wasn't exactly a something Not you had all. to have. Was the, it? the exciting purchase for you know Appetite for Destruction on CD, you know, oh, yeah. In Utero on CD. Yeah, these, I mean, these I've, the big I've, things I remember. Yeah. I still have a huge collection of, you know, cassette tapes with oh, like yeah. albums that I copied off my friends, you know, off yeah. their cassette. But, but I'm but I'm talking about the new the the new record. Did yeah. you think about doing that on vinyl? That whole wave of nostalgia. The, this band that I was really into in the '90s called Triple Triple Fast Action. Um, they put out a record on Capitol and got dropped. They put out a record on Deep Elm, which is sort of like this emo label, and then they broke up. They have been clearing all their old tapes out so they literally last week they just put up for pre-order on Bandcamp a three album set of 27 songs that are demos that no one ever heard and it just seems to be like like bands from this era are starting to sort of empty out the shelves and, and vinyls yeah. what people our age collect these days and so that maybe, I, maybe that'll be the next thing we'll go, maybe, we'll go back maybe. to our uh, pre-junk fuel catalog <laughs> well pe people aren't people aren't clamoring at, at the door i think i think this is this, this, it will well we're we're fortunate so those guys pro probably haven't got an album they recorded in the year 2000 that they can right so so we're we're we're, we're, we're blessed in that yeah. regard uh, yeah. um so the one thing, and I don't know if it's country-wise or whatever, but um, I fortunately have the the advanced uh, copy of Home Truth, but it's not on Spotify at least. No, which is frustrating. We're trying to work out yeah. how to fix that. Mm. Uh, I heard that it that it used to be, well, it was the other way around. It used to be the junk fuel uh, wasn't available online, and Home Truth was, and now somehow it's gone the other way. And we, yeah, again, we yeah. don't know why. But we, what it's probably going to involve is you know talking to somebody at universal music group and trying to convince them to give us the rights to put it on yeah or picking our moment or, or picking our moment and just uploading it anyway and seeing what happens don't really want to do that just yet because it might break <laughs> it they'll take all of our music down if uh, um but there, there must be a way and and because you know junk fuel for all its um charm and and a, and a lot of people you know like like you chip you know I'm, we're getting lovely messages from from people who who absolutely loved junk fuel i think it's fair to say it was it was a a, a, a youthful uh you know record and and home home truths is 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 really a a a, a good bit of work um so it, we, we, it would be nice to get that more of a more of a an airing yeah. for people who are interested for sure yeah i mean i i will follow that up and tell you that that junk fuel is i i still isn't that regularly and i i still like it it still hits me the same way it did i was interviewing um steve kilby from the church 
And we were talking about how music transcends time, whereas you might see a movie and you might see it twice or three times, or if it's on TV, you might catch it again, or a book you might read once or twice, but music, I mean, he was saying records that I bought 50 years ago, I still listen to and get a pleasure out of. And and really, I listen to Junk Fuel and it, it takes, it, it to me, it's not even a nostalgic thing. Like it sounds... yeah. I'm still shocked that that didn't sell 2 million records and that you weren't headlining arenas. I mean, it just had, it's very very kind kind of you. It's very kind. I mean, so, so for me, it's, it's Mezcal Head by Swirl Driver that that, that I swear to God, I listened to at least once a week, you know, for the, for the past 24 years. And I still hear new things in it. I still just get just the same rush out of it every single time. So it is amazing, isn't it? That is a fantastic record. And that was my introduction to what I would later learn was kind of called shoegaze. Like I heard that before I heard my buddy Valentine and I just knew that I listened to it and I loved it. We have a, a Swerve Driver story as well. Although I think some of the other guys in the band don't remember it this way, but I definitely remember it this way, which is that we were in, uh, we were in New York. The, yeah. the band was in New York for something. And um, the label had got us tickets to see Bob Dylan at Madison Square Garden and Van Morrison was opening for Bob Dylan. And the same night, Swerve Driver was playing in some dive bar on the other side of Manhattan. And uh, I can't remember exactly where it was, but I but I, I distinctly remember that we were like, fine, well, we'll go to the Dylan thing and then we'll go and see Swerve Driver. But because Van Morrison went on and on and on and on, by the time Dylan came out, it was time for us to go. And so I think we saw maybe like two songs of Bob Dylan. And then the four of us like got up and we're like, excuse us, excuse us, past all the, you know, the seated patrons who would see Bob Dylan. They're all looking at us going like, why are you leaving this concert? Yeah. And the reason was because we wanted to go over to see Swerve Driver in a dive bar. And uh, and it was totally worth it. It was totally <laughs> worth amazing. it. Yeah. It, it. It was amazing. But I remember I remember it being a hell of a, a crush, you know. Do, do, you remember, do you remember squeezing in at the back back of that gear? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, so, what a yeah. what a nice! We could do that again. But I also, yeah. but I distinctly remember as well that I think we were with the, I think we were with our A and R guy, or we were with somebody who knew them. And he, after the show, he said, "Do you want to go say hello to the band?" And I was like, "No, like I didn't, I did not want to meet them. Like I didn't want to go and meet them." And the, that was exactly the reason why, because I was like what happens if they turn out to be ourselves yeah yeah <laughs> so so that's a that, that's weird isn't it i was like no no i just want to i want to keep this separate you know yes. I'm, I'm just going to listen to their music i don't want to know i don't want to meet them very odd so where do you, you guys meet them well where do you guys oh go ahead no sorry did, what, what did you say dave oh i just said did you ever did you ever meet them like, no, no 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 and and yeah. and i i mean you know so many of the, the it, it's strange isn't it the guys you meet who are lovely and the guys you meet who actually aren't aren't so nice you know <laughs> it's it, it's funny i mean perry farrell uh you know uh, you know the nicest guy in the world um you know and and, and tom york <laughs> Mate, you might have to cut this part out as well, well but depending well, on what he says next well tom york you know <laughs> hey Tom, re- really excited to be here playing with you. You know, this is this is not, you know. Well, I don't know. I know he has his you know emotional problems and everything, but it's just strange that you wouldn't expect Perry Farrell to be the easiest chat yeah. in the world. <laughs> I I interviewed uh, Johnny Greenwood when Pablo Honey came out, right. 
And again, you guys remember those days, Faith No More had had the big hit, the one, like the epic was the song, right? And it was the, the big video. And I remember seeing um, uh, Creep and I can't find the article, but I remember saying to Johnny something along the lines of, are you worried about becoming a one hit wonder? Because we see Faith No More has got one hit and it's sort of, you know, mm -hmm. are you worried about Creep is going to be your one hit? And that shows here I am. I expect you to sell 2 million records and I expected Radiohead to be a one hit wonder. So maybe, <laughs> maybe people shouldn't trust my opinion on stuff. <laughs> um D D D dave's done more of the the star chatting than any of us i think um that, 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 I, I was properly awestruck when you were chatting with the beastie boys at that green day uh, concert oh well i don't think i was actually chatting with them i, I like sat next to mike d at <laughs> it really like i said before you know we've been sort of big band adjacent our entire career. We're almost like sort of the Forrest Gump of, you know, indie rock, I think. We, we sort of turn <laughs> up in places where, where famous people are and, you know, run into them at key moments, yeah. but uh, remain invisible. <laughs> so uh, tell me, where do you guys stand today in terms of listening to stuff? Are you still music consumers? Are you listening to a lot of stuff? Or you fall back on your favorites from 10, 20, 30 years ago? Or... I, I I don't I I do pre pre precious little really. Clive's just introduced me to the the Guy Garvey six music show, and I'm finding that to be a good source of of, of music. Um, but no, I that, that, that in fact it, it's for me. I have to admit it's curated stuff. I don't find stuff um, to my to my shame. I, I've developed a bit of a, I don't know, I think, I don't know whether this is just a function of getting old, but it's sort of like, I think I've, I've, I've come to appreciate musicianship more as I've gotten older. Like when I was younger, music was more about that sort of, you know, visceral feeling, right? Like you like listening to sort of loud, angsty guitar rock because it makes you feel good. And it didn't really matter whether the, you know, the guys could play that well it was more the, the sound and the power of it or whatever as i've gotten older i think i've definitely learned to appreciate more sort of very talented musicians and it's sort of genre agnostic really like i'll just i don't know like the, i know will knows this but the the band that i've been listening to more than any other recently is the punch brothers which i'm sure you're familiar with but Chris Thiele, you know, the the sort of the bluegrass, progressive bluegrass. Oh, band. yeah, yeah. Um, and I just can't get enough of that stuff. It's amazing. And it's really just to do with the unbelievable quality of the musicianship and just the talent. Um, when you listen to them do it, they just make it sound so sort of effortless. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, just that kind of thing just strikes a chord with me these days. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's one I've been listening to a lot. So when we started this or before we started, you asked me kind of how long we're at an hour and a half. So there's probably a good, good place to wrap it up. Um, again, I'll just, you know, you mentioned new record, new old record coming out, uh, two shows. Um, do you think that will be the final bow on front blanket or do you think, uh, there's something, something here? So, so it's, it's, a, it's, it's hard to see past these two shows and, and, do I think this is the start of something? No. Right. Right. But I, I'm also, um, I, I, you know, we're going to be around 
for, for, for a long time. So there may be other opportunities. There's, there's, you know, some 50th birthdays, some 55th birthdays, you know, other, other things come out. And I think really what this, what this shows is, is that we, we, we can do it. I mean, so funnily enough, at the moment, of course, Clive and I are rehearsing to a tape that Dave and Matt recorded. <laughs> um, we haven't got in a room yet, so it might be a disaster. But the but the but the I, I think the expectation is that when the four of us get in the room, it's going to be bloody brilliant. Yeah. And then we're going to then we're going to you know produce 118 minutes of you know, <laughs> uh, well, pure you know indie rock majesty and then and then for the, the and then and then stop and have to you know go into the day job i think um it's not the start of something chip yeah but uh but but it, that's not to say we won't ever do it again yeah i would say yeah I, I, speaking for myself you know this is sort of a personal thing and i, I yeah. think it is for the other guys too it's it was this was not supposed to be about putting out a record or even playing gigs uh just something that i think we all wanted to do you know at one point in our life before we got too old to do it was to just get back in a room again with you know just the four of us and and play some music um and this is sort of an outgrowth of 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 our desire to do that so i'm going to say after we do this we have no plans to do anything else but i don't think the desire to 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 get back into a room with these four you know the four of us is going to go away so yeah. i'm sure we're going to do something again in the future at some point for me it's, it was very specifically a, a, a gig a performance you know mm -hmm. i really want i wanted to get under under the lights in front of a crowd and do that thing yeah that, have that's that feeling again yeah well, that's a hell of a you know for for, for well i think I, I i'd say you know what 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 rush is there like that? You know, I, I haven't been a, a an astronaut or a fighter pilot, but I, I I suspect you know being at the front of a rock band is better. Yeah. <laughs> All That's, right, that seems like a great place to end this. All right, mate. awesome. Good. Well, thank you so much. I'm really happy to uh, to have to have uh, done my stalking and found you, and I'm I'm even more excited that the news came out about the the new album and stuff. So it was. Um, very cool to, to have that chance to catch up with you guys and uh, looking forward to hearing the record. Great to talk to you, Chip. Thank All you. Right. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks for having us. All Good right. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook Twitter and Instagram pages. So